On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers sleepwalked through Sunday's game, and now the national criticism is starting to come for Mike McCarthy. We'll examine one high-profile piece to see if it holds any water, plus a quick look at the new names on the Packers roster and why being irrelevant is worse than being bad. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one, the only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Muirink. Excited to be with you here for another Another fine episode, and I think I can honestly say excited, because these things are fun to do. And even if things aren't going super well for the Packers right now, I think we should have fun writing and talking about the Packers. And if we stop having fun, we should stop doing this. So as long as we're having fun, we're going to keep producing podcasts. And I hope as long as you're having fun, you keep listening as well. If this ever starts to become a chore chore for you, um, I I hope for your own sake that you would stop listening. Don't, Don't feel like you have to be obligated to do this, by the way. Um, we're just doing this because it's a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy the fun that we have with this. So uh, as I give you permission to tune out of the podcast, please continue to listen to this episode. Um, we got to talk about some roster news before we dive into the meat of this episode. The Packers have a new running back and a new receiver in town, adding Trey Carson and Keon Hatcher to their practice squad today. Uh, not a lot to say about these guys, and I, I I hope you would know by now or understand by now, and if you're a new listener, understand here, if if I don't know a lot about these guys, I'm not going to try to make something up. So I'll tell you what, what I know and what I read, and it'll probably be pretty similar to what you and know and have read so far. We'll just uh, talk real quick and uh, get on to more meaty things. Trey Carson, bigger, well, not big, thicker back, 5'11", 228. Another thickish back for the low end of the Packers roster. They got a type, don't they? Uh, Devontae Mays, Joel Buonio, dearly departed, uh, and Darius Jackson, all a little on the shorter side, a little on the thicker side. Buonio at 6'2", but other than that, you know, in that 5'11", to 6'1", range, uh, in that 230 ballpark or so, bigger, thicker running back types, not track stars. 4.64 for Carson at his pro day. He did not run at the NFL Combine. Um, It's funny when you start reading scouting reports, every so often there will be a guy where he does, he's not real good on tape. He he doesn't test real well, but scouts kind of like him for some reason. And the Packers got two of those guys today. Here's what they say about uh, Trey Carson in his scouting report, the, the official NFL.com scouting report compiled by Lance Zerline on their, their sources tell us section. Uh, really tough guy. I know coaches on that staff who like the person as much as the player. You know, he's really ready to challenge your guys on every carry, but he's not the kind of runner who you fear, if that makes sense. If that's not damning with faint praise, I don't know what is. You don't really, you're not really afraid of him, but you know he'll try hard. Uh, the NFL comp for him, Tim Hightower, if you remember that name. The bottom line on Carson, he doesn't possess the skill level necessary to, to be a starter or even part of a combination of backs to lead the charge for a team. But his toughness and ability to grind it out in short yardage gives him some value. So that's sort of the the nutshell on Carson. Not going to be a big play guy. Uh, seems like a depth signing and. Probably just trying to get a new face in there. Um, Buanio's been around. They probably know what they need to know uh, about him at this point. Uh, Keon Hatcher, meanwhile, 6'1", 217, so about Devontae Adams' size. 4'6", 4 at the combine, but in the exact mirror of Carson, 
he did not run at his pro day. Neither of these guys did a lot of testing stuff. Uh, just some highlights from his strengths, weaknesses, and uh, the bottom line on him. Uh, they say from his scouting report, again, this is not my own scouting here, just what I've read. Uh, he's effective working down the field. 80% of his catches went for first downs in college. Uh, went to Arkansas, by the way. Uh, weaknesses, not not super quick. Plays a little bit tall, runs a little bit tall. Just average speed, as you might guess, with a 4.640. Um, bottom line on on this guy, uh, Hatcher, uh, with that said, says the scouting report, Hatcher has something to him. He plays with good balance and strength in his routes and flashes elevated focus when finishing catches in traffic. So again, just another, <clears throat> excuse me, another sort of guy where there's just something, something about him, something you can't quite put your finger on. At least that's what the, what one scout, Lance Zerline, seems to say. So are the, either of these guys going to be immediate contributors? No. Even long-term contributors, I would think uh, it probably looks fairly doubtful for both of these guys, but you never know. Moving right along, uh, posted an article today, tomorrow, or no wait, how does time work? Yesterday, at least by the time you read this, on Tuesday, posted an article about uh, some thoughts on the Packers so far. Uh, title, I think, pretty much says it. The Packers aren't are worse than bad. They're irrelevant. Um, judging by the early response to this article, I should have tacked two words onto that headline or at least somewhere in there, I should have had the words right now. I think I make that pretty clear in the piece, but, the, the based on the reaction to the headline alone, which is mostly what you get on social media right now, people, people don't understand that every criticism or, or thought that we have about the Packers is, is time bound right now. The Packers look like an irrelevant team. And I think that's a problem. The thesis is the Packers, you know, aren't scaring anybody right now. Uh, people preparing for the Packers are going to say nice things about Aaron Rodgers. But then, you know, most quality teams, it seems like so far, are going to have an answer for the things that the Packers do. Even the Washington Redskins, not anybody's idea of a contender, pretty much bottled up the Packers pretty well. They could do what they they held them under control on on defense and, you know, scored enough when they were on offense to put the game out of reach, even if the, the the defense for the Packers did get a lot better in the second half. But there are bright spots for the Packers, which means that they're either not playing well or they're just really inconsistent. And that puts you in kind of a weird middle ground. You're not bad enough to really bottom out. You're not good enough to contend. So where does that put you? Well, in the NFL, that ends you, that puts you in kind of the 7-9 and nine to 9-7 nine and seven sort of prison which doesn't get you good draft picks and it doesn't get you to the playoffs unless a lot of things break your way. That makes you a pretty irrelevant team and that's a terrible place to be. You don't get any of the hope or rewards that come with being bad. So check that out on the site. I think it's I think it's worth your time and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Never hesitate to reach out and give us a little bit of your, your thoughts there. I uh, want to spend the bulk of our time today talking about um, something that's getting a lot of attention. The national critics are coming for Mike McCarthy. Uh, this is not super surprising. People have circled around this issue for a couple of years now. Is Mike McCarthy's offense stale? Should the Packers move on from Mike McCarthy? Whatever. That's not the conversation I want to have today. What I want to talk about is the criticism itself and the way that we talk about Mike McCarthy. If you'll remember back about a year, almost a year now, maybe mm, Ten and a half months. I can't remember exactly what time we posted that last year. Maybe about November. We were way out ahead of everybody, you know, actually publishing, you know, 
a, a big time full headline thing. Yes, it's time to fire Dom Capers. We went through all of the issues and information and things like that systematically. Why Dom Capers should be fired, what the actual criticisms are, cutting through the, uh, the Packers should have done this years ago type stuff to get to the heart of the issue. And I think the evidence led us to conclude that firing Dom Capers was the right thing to do at that time. Would have supported it midseason, supported it at the end of the year. The point of the conversation I want to have today, via one specific article, is to lay the groundwork to do that sort of thing with Mike McCarthy. Because if you're going to make a case for firing Mike McCarthy, you've got to have your ducks in a row. You can't just say it's time to move on, as I've harped on for a couple of weeks. You can't use arguments that don't make sense, one of which we'll touch on here in a second. You've got to have good information. I understand not liking Mike McCarthy. There's a lot about Mike McCarthy that I myself don't like. But if you're going to criticize him, get it right, be accurate. I don't think that's a lot to ask. So let's dive in. Every so often, Packers Internet kind of coalesces around a single piece of content and won't let go of it. This week, that piece is the one we've been talking about. It's from Robert Mays at TheRinger.com. Bill Simmons, I don't know if you can even call it new anymore, his post-Grantland site. This piece is titled, The Packers Can't Let Mike McCarthy Keep Wasting Aaron Rodgers. It's gotten near universal acclaim from what I've been able to see among most of the Packers-related people that I follow, a lot of the commenters that I've seen on on reactions to it, and I think it's probably the most in-depth look at the Packers we've had so far this season from a national writer, the most in-depth look I've seen. So I think it's worthwhile to take a look. We're going to take a thought-by-thought, not quite paragraph-by-paragraph look at this and see if it's worth anything. So here we go. I'm going to read from the piece then give you the reactions. Aaron Rodgers has played in only one Super Bowl. It's a common refrain among the Packers quarterback, about the Packers quarterback, and it means different things to different people. To some, it's proof that while talented, Rodgers doesn't belong in the conversation with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning as the best passers of this generation. To others, though, Green Bay's recent lack of championship success is an indictment of the front office and head coach Mike McCarthy, who's been in place for Rodgers' 11-year tenure as the team's starter. Not much to see here right off the bat. Pretty standard stuff. A lot of arguments we've heard before. But there is a minor issue that's going to become more major as things go on. It doesn't seem like we can decide if this is about Mike McCarthy or the front office right off the bat. The, the piece is titled about McCarthy, but Mays right away kind of half, half steps it and goes with the front office or and Mike McCarthy being together, but then directs most of his criticism at McCarthy, as we'll see. Continuing on, Rodgers is 34 years old, and in August, the Packers signed him to the richest contract in NFL history, a four-year, $134 million deal that will presumably be his last in Green Bay. The expectation with a deal of that magnitude is that Rodgers would just continue to lift the Packers to the postseason by virtue of little more than his own singular greatness. Is that really what that contract means, or does it mean that the Packers think Aaron Rodgers is good and they want him to stay around, and that you know a contract like that is what it's going to take to keep an ultra-high-end quarterback around? Because that's what I think it means. Why does giving somebody a big contract like that mean that you think it's his job and his job alone to get you to the postseason and beyond? It's just a silly dichotomy to set up. 
continuing. But following Sunday's ugly 31-23 loss to the Lions, Rodgers and the Pack are now 2-2-1, and their once-dominant offense looks dormant. As Rodgers and McCarthy continue their slog through another potentially underwhelming season, it's becoming impossible to ignore the crime against football that has been perpetrated in Wisconsin over the past half decade. The Packers have squandered the prime of the most gifted quarterback of the past 25 years. That's a pretty big accusation here. And here's where that problem that I mentioned earlier pops up. When people talk about that lack of success the Packers have had since winning Super Bowl 45, the refrain always seems to boil down to the Packers kind of wasting Rodgers' prime, right? You'd think the Packers haven't been back to the playoffs since 2010. Or if they did go to the playoffs, that Mike McCarthy spent every game just running plays, running fullback dives, play after play after play, tight end flats, just wasting Rodgers, not letting him do anything. But it's not accurate. That's not what happened. It's not accurate to say there's been a half-decade-long crime against football going on in Wisconsin. Not counting this season, going back half a decade gets you back to 2013. And if there was a crime against football in the works, it should be pretty obvious as you look back over half a decade. Let's take a second. 2013, Aaron Rodgers breaks his collarbone. Packers go into a tailspin after a 5-2 and two start. Rodgers comes back in Week 17 and throws the game-winning touchdown to Randall Cobb to send the Packers into the playoffs, only to have the Packers lose at home to the 49ers. Obviously, the Packers let Aaron Rodgers down in that game. Wait just a second. Aaron Rodgers threw for 177 yards and just one touchdown. Couldn't get the Packers into the end zone on two trips to the red zone. 177 yards on 26 attempts. Is that a scheme problem or is that the quarterback not playing very good after being two weeks removed from coming back from a, a collarbone injury? I, I, I have a hard time blaming McCarthy for that one. 2014, Aaron Rodgers wins his second MVP. He guides the Packers to the league's number one scoring offense. You know how the 2014 NFC Championship played out, but the Packers were on the doorstep of another Super Bowl appearance. If there's a crime against football there, I will take that crime against football every single year. The Packers had one of the best offenses in football, and if there is not an abject disaster in Seattle, they go to the Super Bowl there. And once you're in the Super Bowl, who knows what happens? So our half decade of football crime is down to three seasons at worst here, 15, 16, and 17. 2015, Aaron Rodgers loses Jordy Nelson, well, and the Packers lose Jordy Nelson in the preseason. Then Aaron Rodgers goes through the worst professional season of his career. The Packers narrowly make the playoffs. They beat the Redskins in the wild card, then lose to the Cardinals. Arguably, with a bit of a better season from the Packers, the pa- or from Rodgers, rather, the Packers could have gone quite a bit deeper. The defense was there that season for a good run, probably the last good run or the good, last good defense of Dom Capers' tenure with the Packers. It was Rodgers that was the problem that season. Not the scheme, not the defense. It was Rodgers. He was bad that year. 2016, Rodgers again starts pretty slow. It looks like 2015 Rodgers for the first half of the season or so, but he finishes hot. The Packers run the table, as you know. The team finishes with the fourth-ranked scoring offense. So again, crime against football, I'm not sure. It kind of looks like they just started executing again. If there's a a, prime, a problem there, it's pretty well hidden. 2017, Aaron Rodgers throws for almost 1,400 yards and 13 touchdowns, completes 67% of his passes in the first five weeks of the season, but then he breaks his collarbone against the Minnesota Vikings. You know the story from there. If there's a crime against football happening there in the first five weeks of the season, again, a little bit hard to determine. It's, it's tough to say. 
Obviously, you can't paint a full picture of how an offense performs just from the raw numbers. But to May's point, if there's a crime against football happening for a half decade, Mike McCarthy is hiding it really, really well. Even if the offense is simplistic and outdated, and I think it is, it really hasn't shown up until relatively recently. A lot of people just want to hate Mike McCarthy, and that's fine. But you can't say this has been just a crime against football for half a decade. Could could it have been better? Yeah, sure. But the evidence isn't there that it was terrible. Continuing on in the piece, Rodgers has done his best to explain away recent comments that could be construed as shots against McCarthy and his staff, but it's obvious that he's frustrated with the state of the offense. Jason Lockenfora of CBS Sports reported Sunday night that tensions have started to mount in Green Bay. Rodgers apparently didn't appreciate his position coach and confidant Alex Van Pelt becoming a scapegoat for the offense's struggles last season. Van Pelt, along with several other offensive assistants, was let go in January. Brief aside, don't see anybody weeping for Edgar Bennett here, because he's a fall guy too. He didn't enjoy seeing his friend Jordy Nelson unceremoniously shown the door this past spring. Allowing a QB to dictate a franchise's decisions is dicey territory, but there are plenty of areas where Rodgers' dissatisfaction is more than warranted. Well, there may be some plenty of areas where Rodgers' dissatisfaction is more than warranted, but this ain't it. If the best defense for someone keeping their job is he's friends with Aaron Rodgers, that's probably a good enough reason alone for that person to be fired. I don't really have much of an opinion on why Van Pelt was let go or not brought back because his contract did expire. But other than that, it was kind of strange. So what? Who cares? This That's not Rodgers' job to decide on the coaching staff. Area man displeased with employers hiring and firing practices is not much of a story. I'm sorry, Robert, it's not. Continuing, continuing on. McCarthy made a big show this offseason of saying the offensive scheme would see sweeping changes in 2018. Everything was open for discussion, every definition, every formation, McCarthy said at the NFL owners meeting this spring. So we've taken a scrub brush approach to the whole system, that famous quote. Whether we're talking about the formation, defensive identification at the line, putting the ball in play, all those different areas that you tend to gloss over year to year, particularly when you're in the same offense for so long. And then while crowing about how the team was turning over a new leaf on that side of the ball, McCarthy reclaimed play-caller duties and brought back Joe Philbin, who was with the team from 2003 to 2011 as the offensive coordinator. Decisions that certainly didn't indicate the dawn of a new era. Don't have much to add here other than that Mays is wrong on several facts here. Uh, McCarthy had his play-calling duties back since 2015 late in 2015. So we're almost three years into that journey. It's not a new development. Uh, I don't think anybody was really super convinced that McCarthy's offense was going to change dramatically either, especially when he brought back Philbin. So I guess, yeah, there is a dichotomy there between what he says and what actually happened. But come on, uh, how much was it really going to change? If you want to do substantive criticisms of his offense, Pointing out inconsistencies between what a coach says and what actually happens isn't a super, super compelling argument. It's not a big news flash for coaches to say one thing and do a different thing. Welcome to football. Continuing, and nothing has changed. The offense has stagnated through five games this season, averaging just 23 points per game and showing little schematic creativity in the process. And Rodgers has more than enough reasons to be miffed. Late last month, Rodgers openly lobbied for running back Aaron Jones to get more carries. Jones is currently averaging 6.1 yards per carry. A couple weeks later, Jones was out-snapped by Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery. Some of it has to do with a pass-happy game script, but save that argument. 
Williams is such a great pass protector that it's impossible to keep him off the field. Playing Williams over Jones because he's superior in pass protection is akin to going to a Michelin star restaurant because you like the mints in the bathroom. Even if it's not intentional, it sure feels like McCarthy is antagonizing one of the best quarterbacks ever for no reason and to his own detriment. So the argument about Williams playing over Jones based on pass blocking is a bad one, so I agree with Mr. Mays here. But does he really think McCarthy would antagonize Rodgers, intentionally or not, with playing time for his running backs? I mean, if you want to just say McCarthy is stupid for playing Williams over Jones, just say that. Don't make up something about him trying to antagonize Rodgers. How would you unintentionally antagonize Rodgers? How dumb of a person would you have to be to make somebody that that important to your team mad at you for no reason you can have a difference of opinion with McCarthy that's fine this paragraph also kind of exempts one key person from criticism pertaining to the Packers offensive performance so far this season you might know who it is it's Aaron Rodgers it's not just a scheme that is causing Aaron Rodgers to complete just 63% of his passes so far this year. It's not just the scheme that's responsible for him posting his lowest QBR of any season of his career so far. Those are not all scheme problems. If Aaron Rodgers is as good as we think he is, shouldn't he be able to transcend some of these scheme issues? That's been your case so far that the reason the Packers have been good is because he has transcended those scheme issues. What happened? Did he become not good, or is he just not playing as well? That's something that needs to be addressed. How the Packers delved, devolved into this is a complicated and multifaceted story. We continue. Ted Thompson, the former Packers GM, who was transitioned out of the role in January, and his staff refused to supplement the roster with free agents. Even as teams like the Seahawks and Broncos showed that strategy could lead to Super Bowl victories in the modern NFL. The league-wide desire to stockpile cheap rookie contracts created a pool of a, valu- a pool of valuable middle-class players, which the Packers decided to completely ignore. They've loosened the purse strings slightly in recent years, especially this past offseason, but on the rare occasions that they have splurged on outside talent, the results have been underwhelming. As Rodgers watches tight end Jimmy Graham and his $11 million guaranteed plot around the field, he's probably wondering, why couldn't we keep Jordy again? First, uh, as we break the story again here. This is valid criticism. The stuff about Graham versus Nelson may be a little bit less so as we've talked about in the past, but none of this has anything to do with Mike McCarthy or his scheme. If anything, Mike McCarthy has been as outspoken as Mike McCarthy gets when it comes to his desire for more free agents. Each of the last two offseasons, that's been something he's made a point to say. Criticizing him for the roster is dumb. We continue. Still, the combination of Rodgers and excellent drafting has been enough to keep Green Bay's offense near the top of the league, even though the defense hasn't held up its end of the bargain. Recently, though, Rodgers' unit has taken a drastic fall from the scoreboard exploring groups the Packers have fielded in years past. While creativity and ingenuity have started driving some of the best offenses in the NFL, neither of those can be found in Green Bay's approach. A scheme that demands its receivers rely solely on their ability to get open and can work when the receivers are overly talented. But aside from Devontae Adams, this group isn't. And Sean McVay and Andy Reid 
scheme and as Sean McVay and Andy Reid scheme wide open throws into existence for Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes, respectively, Rodgers is forced to conjure his own miracles. Reid is six years McCarthy's senior. He's been a head coach in the NFL for seven more seasons. This isn't a matter of age or a veteran coach getting left behind in the advent of new systems. Reid has made tireless efforts to stave off extinction and remain on the cutting edge of play design in the NFL. McCarthy has not. So I think this is the first like serious, straightforward, valid, accurate criticism of McCarthy in the piece. His offense has stagnated. There's no doubt there. It relies on ISO routes all the time. It's up to the receivers to get open most of the time. However, it also ignores the fact that Rodgers has not played very well this season. If Rodgers just executes the scheme, the scheme and you can look on Twitter, you can look on Packers blogs everywhere and find people pulling up play after play after play of Rodgers bailing on plays before he has to when there are receivers open. If Rodgers just executes, if he throws to Jimmy Graham in the end zone accurately and on time and his throws to others receivers are on schedule all over the field, suddenly the Packers scheme looks a lot better. Continuing on, the Packers' static approach has become even more frustrating as innovative coaches around the league turn over every rock in the football world, trying to find new ways to make the game easier on their players. Many of Reed's more forward-thinking concepts are pulled straight from college football, and if the Packers truly want to get as far from McCarthy philosophically as they can, college might be the place to look. The thought of Rodgers playing in an offense devised by Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley is genuinely terrifying. So I think we've all imagined stuff like this from time to time, and this is what we've asked for. This, again, is pretty fair criticism. At this point, the concern is whether McCarthy and Rodgers can coexist in Green Bay, but it's not entirely clear why they have to. So here's where May starts to bring things home with an accurate conclusion, albeit one that his evidence supports with some mixed results. I think the problem overall, as I kind of take my conclusion here and jam it 80% of the way through this piece, is that Mays has an accurate conclusion. McCarthy's offense is stagnant. Rodgers doesn't seem happy with it. But his evidence doesn't support that conclusion. If that's the conclusion you you want to reach and argue for, bring us some evidence that shows that. As Rodgers barrels towards his late 30s, every lost season, hell, every lost game is that much more distressing, and McCarthy has gotten his fair share of chances to right the ship. Firing a head coach means that plenty of others lose their jobs and get uprooted. It's never an easy choice, but in the Packers' case, it might be the only way out of this swoon. If Rodgers and McCarthy really can't get on the same page, I would argue that one of them has to go, and it's not going to be Rodgers. That's really the only solution, whether it's this year or next year, or any year. As long as the plan is to keep Rodgers, it's going to be McCarthy that's headed out of town. Circling back here. Rebuilding your front office staff and playbook doesn't matter when the guiding force and force and overarching philosophy doesn't change. Two, with McCarthy at the helm this season, the Packers offense looks just as stale and broken as it ever has over the past two years. In seasons past, that hasn't mattered. Rodgers rose from the ashes, strapped the Packers offense to his back, and soared into the postseason. But it just shouldn't have to be that hard. It's really not that hard. Uh it's not something that, that is terribly difficult. And saying it is hard again ignores that Rodgers has been bad for large stretches of this season, maybe entire games. 
Sure, if Mason Crosby makes a couple field goals Sunday, the Packers likely beat the Lions and the systemic issues get downplayed for another week. But watching an offense led by Rodgers shouldn't be a chore. Proclamations about running the table and decrees to relax shouldn't be necessary in the first place. Every time Rodgers carries Green Bay to another winning season, the rotting foundation of the Packers offense is forgotten. But that doesn't mean it stopped deteriorating. And maybe this is the year when the situation becomes just dire enough to inspire real, real change. Overall, again, Mays hits a lot of good points here. I'm not sure the evidence he presents supports his conclusion that McCarthy needs to go. It's not all on McCarthy. It's simply not. It's never been all on McCarthy. Whenever the Packers have been bad on offense in the past, you can point to a lot of execution issues. And maybe it shouldn't be that difficult. Maybe it shouldn't be all on Rodgers to execute. But I don't think it's also a big ask to have your $130 million quarterback execute the offense how it's supposed to be played. McCarthy can be a problem, but he's only a part of the problem right now. Firing McCarthy could be the only way forward, but he's not the only reason why the Packers are where they are right now. That's my piece. I'm sticking with it. While I've got you here, wanted to point out a funny similarity that I noticed this week. Uh, I've been looking back at historical seasons where the Packers didn't start so hot. Let's circle back to 2002. 2012, excuse me, just outside that half decade of crimes against football that Robert Mays referenced. In 2012, the Packers started two, two and three, not two, two and one. Two and two and one is the result they have so far this year after having a game kind of taken away from them due to a bad call, the Minnesota game. Then they also dropped a game on the road in a dome that they probably should have won against a team that wears blue and white. Why do I get so specific like that? Well, in 2012, as you'll remember, the Packers had an early game taken away due to an issue with some officiating. I think you know what I'm getting that there. It happened in Seattle. There's a catchy name for it. But then, just a couple weeks later, they went on the road and lost a game that they should have won to a team in a dome that happens to wear blue and white. I think that Colts game, the one I'm referring to, might actually be a little bit more frustrating than the fail Mary in hindsight, just because the Packers were so bad in that particular game. These parallels are interesting, and it shows that the Packers can dig themselves out, but it takes a lot of doing, and the margin for error is getting very, very slim. Just to get to 10 wins, the Packers have to go 8-3 and three the rest of the way, and with the Rams and the Patriots coming up fast right after the bye week, that's looking like a tougher and tougher task. We'll be right here with you going through each of those games as they happen. I'm excited to see what happens throughout the remainder of this season. That's all I've got for you for this episode. Uh, We're already midway through a week, so another preview coming up this Friday as the Packers look to take on the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. First Monday Nighter in a while. That'll be exciting. Uh, If you would like to follow us and support us and do all those wonderful things, you may do so on Facebook and on Twitter and via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We've seen an uptick recently in our Patreon supporters. Keep that coming if you are so inclined. Patreon.com slash thepowersweep. If you want to throw a buck a month our way, that helps a lot in ways we should probably spend a little bit more time explaining exactly. But it's it's a big help to us, and we've got big plans for your generous donations here in the relatively near future. Uh, if you would like to support us in other ways, buy a t-shirt on teespring.com. Click the store link at thepowersuite.com to find your way there. Or just leave us a review on iTunes. It's the freest and easiest way to support us. And 
it helps more people find the show. Do appreciate you reaching out. Any bit of communication you throw our way helps us make this entire operation better. It helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.